At some point, we all face really confusing situations. And because of our experiences so far, we can't see what's really going on. Then all of a sudden, there is an encounter. Something crazy only God could explain. We have a light bulb moment, and we can finally see things clearly. These insights can significantly change our life direction. What if you could learn from somebody else's light bulb moment? My insight could be your insight. Significant life, God-inspired moments that can change a life. Yes, so my name is Bernie. It's great to be here. It's always uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to come and speak to you guys. And uh, yes, so tonight I'll be sharing some of my story, some of the things that have happened to me that I find significant. Uh, that have essentially got me to this point. So there I was, dressed like an astronaut and hiding backstage while over 200 young people flooded into the hall. It was the final night of the space-themed kids' camp at Tota Springs, and I had planned a surprise for all of them. All of a sudden, the lights dipped and music began to play. I moved into position and I attached a rope that would take me to the ceiling of the hall. It took a group of four guys to raise me to the top. And once I reached there, the whole plan was I was supposed to clip onto a secondary rope. This rope would then take me over the heads of the crowd and down towards the stage. But that was when disaster struck. For some reason, for, you all right down the front? All right. For some reason, the rope was a little more out of reach than it was when we practiced the stunt earlier in the afternoon. Picture this, there I am, high above this crowd of young people, dressed like an astronaut, flailing around in the air uh, with a rope coming up from behind my neck. As the lights came on and revealed my predicament to the crowd, gasps and tears began to flood the crowd as they thought their MC for the week had hung himself. <laughs> After much struggling, stretching, and a little bit more boost, from the guys on the ground, I managed to grab the secondary rope, clip it to my harness, and then descend over the crowd. Flustered, I hit the ground and quickly disconnected myself from the ropes. Little did I know that there was still a considerable amount of tension on the rope, and as I released the clip, the rope went flying back and took out five kids. <laughs> when our best laid plans don't go as we want them to, or if a situation quickly or radically changes, how do we respond? Do we go with the change, adapt, and move? Or do we try and cling to what we had, ultimately cementing us in a position where we don't adapt? Do we surround ourselves in the comfort of the normal and the safe to try and counteract the impact of any potential new change? How do we respond to new opportunities? Are we able to let go of our fears and our concerns and step forward boldly into a new place or situation that God might want to be leading us to? Or are we stretched between the idea of an exciting new opportunity and the weight of our comfort and security? Do we try to shield ourselves from new opportunities by isolating ourselves in a personal fortress filled with ideals and routines that we trust? Risk is then eliminated as we're never exposed to anything that might threaten or have built up around us. In my life, the moments that I consider the most significant, the ones where I've seen God's hands move powerfully in my life, have always been accompanied with two challenging ideas. 
vulnerability, and surrender. We don't like hearing these words a lot. They're words that can challenge our very core because they are countercultural. They're words associated with weakness uh, or failure. As a male here in New Zealand, the media that fills my ears and eyes tells me that I should be like an all black, tough, strong, and able to put any Australian in their place. I'm told to be a staunch Kiwi bloke, good with my hands, resilient like a nail wrapped in a length of number eight wire. Kiwis are achievers. They're supposed to put their head down and get stuck in and take on everything with a she'll be right attitude. A posture of surrender and vulnerability has no place in the ideal incarnation of the perfect New Zealander. The unfortunate thing is that this attitude can also be adapted by a number of us within the church. We come to church every Sunday, we sing, we meet for coffee, after the service we talk about the music, we talk about the nice themes of the message, how the All Blacks did last night, and for a lot of us, this is where the conversation then ends. We come to church thinking that we have to appear that we have it all together. There's this underlying subconscious lie that tells us that being a good Christian means having all the answers and living a good life. If my life was to be perceived as not good, then people will think I'm not a good Christian. And we can't let that happen. What you're catching a glimpse of is the way I personally thought about my faith when I was 17. Growing up in a Christian home, I became a Christian at a very young age. My dad was a pastor, so when going through my high school years, I felt like I had to be the perfect Christian all the newer Christians could look up to, or should look up to. I should have the answers for them, because I'm way more experienced with this whole Christianity thing, right? Looking back, I'm amazed at myself, the fact that I could ever think that this was a healthy attitude, but I, I was like this, and I did think like that. So there I was, this 17-year-old young guy, thinking he had to be had to be the be-all and end-all for his friends, for his Christian mates. What this did was lead me to a place where I was never vulnerable or open with my friends. I couldn't show any weakness because I was the perfect Christian, and I didn't want any of my friends to fall away. Doing this led to a hardness and a loneliness that came over my heart. After a while of trying to be this uber-Christian, I could no longer feel love from my friends, my family, from God, and I felt completely isolated. I remember clearly one night at church, a friend of mine came up to me, he was at the end of the service, and he came up to me and sat next to me and said, are you okay? I responded in a typical Kiwi fashion, yep, yeah, I'm fine. He persisted and asked again, are you okay? This bugged me and I I kind of shrugged him off and was like, yeah, man, I already told you, I'm fine. I'm good. This wasn't enough for my friend. He, he looked me dead in the eyes and said, Bernie, seriously, are you doing okay? These seemed to be the magic words because my walls dropped and the waterworks began in an epic fashion. For the first time in a long time, my heart became vulnerable and warm again. It was like God wrapped his hands around my heart and slowly melted away the ice that had formed there. This was uh, the beginning of a new era for Bernie Cowan. This is where I learned the need to be vulnerable with God and the people I do life with. 
For me, this moment was when I began to truly own my faith. My relationship with Jesus was mine, not something I was trying to protect on behalf of my parents. The more I allowed myself to become vulnerable with God, the deeper my relationship became with Him. Of course, this wasn't a quick process, and it's um, one thing that I still work on to this very day. But this act, this allowing God to heat up the ice fortress of my heart, was a key stepping stone in my journey, and one that would lead me down a path I probably wouldn't have gone down if I hadn't. We need to become more vulnerable with each other, but also with God. Too many of us act in a way that is similar to how I acted here. Vulnerability can sometimes be seen as a posture of weakness, but the opposite is true. Being vulnerable declares to the world that you are dependent, dependent on the provision and the guidance of the one true King, the Lord God Almighty. Let's fast forward now to 2010. 2010 was the year where I first learned what it meant to surrender your plans to God. At the time, I was in a relationship that I easily thought could have resulted in marriage. It was the middle of the year, and I was going to Los Angeles with a youth missions team from our church. We were there for two weeks, and we were working with the Dream Center in downtown Los Angeles, a 24-hour outreach center that works with the homeless in, in Los Angeles. The trip was life-changing in more ways than one. I was excited. I was expecting to come back from this trip with a real heart for the poor. But I ended up getting way more than that. It was an extreme two weeks. Very emotional, very confronting, and very humbling. It was the first time I really felt God's desperate and broken heart for His people. Moreover, God broke my heart for the young people I was working alongside. He desperately wanted them to know him more, and I wanted that too. On this trip, and forgive me if I don't kind of describe this well enough because it's very hard for me to describe, but God led me to be so reliant on him, to be so vulnerable with him, that by the end I was making bold claims in my prayer times like, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, I'll go, I'll do. Whatever you say, I'll do because I know that you are clearly with me, and I trust you fully. Dangerous, dangerous words. I came back from this trip absolutely pumped. I was, I was on fire. I, was, I felt as though uh, I, I came back with this passion for young people. I felt like I should apply for the role of associate youth pastor at my church. And so I, I did. The day... I applied for that role, I received a text from my girlfriend at the time. She told me that God had been speaking to her strongly while I was away and that we needed to talk as soon as possible. To cut a very long and emotional story short, over the past few weeks while I had been in the States, God had been speaking to her strongly about us needing to end our relationship. I was mad. I was furious at God. I went down to the local forest and let God how I truly, know how I truly felt about the situation. For the next couple of hours, I screamed and I pleaded. I was brutally honest with God, saying things like, you knew how much I cared for that person 
and you knew where I thought this was going, and you do this? How could you do that? What's going on? I don't know how to describe it, but in this moment of rawness, in this moment of unfiltered honesty, God's peace hit me like a freight train. You need to be a part for what's coming next. Trust me. That's all he said. And because of what had happened on that missions trip, on that trip to Los Angeles, that's all I needed to hear. There in that, in that moment for the first time in my life, I truly surrendered my plans and life to Jesus. Even though it was painful and it sucked at the time, I'm truly thankful for that moment and that time of intense vulnerability and surrender because just a couple of days later after this had happened, I got that job at church. And my life since then has gone on a polar opposite direction to what I had planned at that point. Ultimately, if I hadn't had that moment or if I had resisted to what God had said and fought Him about it and gone and done my own thing, I would have never ended up here tonight. I was the associate youth pastor at my church for two and a half years. Over this short period of time, God built me up and broke me down many, many times. We nicknamed our office the cry room because we would cry a lot. He gave me some valuable life and faith lessons that I will never forget. But towards the end of 2012, I wasn't in a good place. I wasn't as vulnerable with God as I should have been. I had become comfortable in my role at church. Instead of passionately seeking God and doing things out of a place of knowing Him and wanting to serve Him, to show how much I loved Him, I was doing things, ministry things, and a lot of things, to justify a paycheck, to justify my status as a pastor. I was doing all these things and looked like I was doing great, but inside I was not a happy chappy at all. We need, to, we need to be careful. We need to keep regularly practicing vulnerability and surrender. Otherwise, we dry up. We become self-reliant and autonomous. It's like that story of driving in a car with Jesus. We're happy to let him drive through all the crazy, windy, scary bits. But as soon as we get to the highway... Jesus, get out of the seat, I'm driving. I got this. Even though we don't know where we're supposed to be going, we jump in and we take it for a spin. Being in a position of vulnerability and surrender puts us in the back seat of the car, away from the steering altogether. We aren't even able to change the radio station, but we can always ask. It puts us in the back seat. It makes us reliant on Jesus to get us to where we should be going. God had to break my leg to get my attention, to make me realize the severity of my predicament. I had to surrender the epic summer holiday that I had been planning for most of the previous year and enter into a 10 weeks of hobbling around and then a year of recovery. As you could probably imagine, I was pretty frustrated by this and pretty down about the situation as well. Unable to do what I had planned, I found myself doing a lot of inward reflection, asking myself some hard questions, and I didn't like the answers. 
This whole crisis had made me vulnerable with God again. I, I wanted more of Him. I wanted to seek Him. I wanted my relationship with Him to deepen. But I was torn. I love my job. And, but what I was doing wasn't healthy. But I wanted to appear strong and, and not to give up after just two and a half years of ministry in a church. This whole thing came to a head in February 2013. I was running a camp for our youth and David Pierce was our camp speaker. On the Saturday night of, of the camp, David was preaching, and at the end, he asked us to kneel as a response. I, I desperately felt like I needed to respond, that I needed to kneel, but my leg was still in a cast. Through the pain, I knelt. I told God that I was all His, that I surrender, that I'll do whatever you, whatever you tell me to. In that moment, God brought to my, a story to my attention. It was that of Mary and Martha. You know the one where Martha is running around the house getting things ready to impress Jesus and Mary just simply sits at Jesus' feet listening and just listening to what he's saying. It was like God was telling me to stop striving to surrender and just sit at my feet. I was acting like Martha, forcing myself through the pain to impress Jesus. But he simply wanted me to let go and sit with him. So I pulled out my broken leg from underneath me and sat like a child in God's presence, overwhelmed with God's peace and his love for me. After this meeting, I, I sat with David and I, I told him about my predicament, about what was going on for me. And after some time of prayer, he, he turned to me and said, I think you already know the answer. I think you already know what you're supposed to do because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to die. He talked about how what I needed now was time to just seek God, to go, to go deep with Him. He told me about the Steiger Mission School in Germany, that it was 10 weeks of seeking God in a beautiful little country village. It sounded perfect. It sounded exactly what I needed. And a week later, I resigned from my role at my church, filled out my form from the school. I had no plan for what I was going to do when I got back. If I, if I got back... I just knew that I needed to go. I gave up my comfortable life for the complete unknown, and I've never been the same since. Since making that decision to get on the plane and go to Germany, my whole life has been completely flipped and reshaped. I've done things I never thought I would have done previously. I've been in situations that you couldn't ever predict, and I've met some people that have truly, truly changed my life. I'm now a full-time missionary with Steiger. That in itself has its own journey and its, its challenges, but it'll have to be a story for another time. I get to work with passionate Christian artists from all over the world, united by the same call. They want to use their art to radically transform the world for Jesus. I've run national music tours of New Zealand with the band No Longer Music, led zombie walks through the middle of German towns, and preached the gospel in public squares, and married the most incredible girl of my dreams. Thank you. All right. And all of this is only possible because I allowed myself to be vulnerable with Jesus, to really learn to know his voice, and then also surrender my life to him. Let him truly call the shots. 
When we look at the Bible, we read about characters like Paul and Peter, Gideon and Moses, characters that really inspire us with their boldness and courage. We look at them and wish that our lives were as significant as theirs, and it can be. What we see again and again with these biblical characters is a need to surrender and a need to be vulnerable before God. Peter was an avid fisherman. When Jesus called him to come with him, he abandoned a lifelong career. Saul was humbled so that he could become Paul, who then depended on the Lord to get him all across the world sharing the gospel. We see these characters stepping out of a life that was comfortable, a life that they understood, a life deemed appropriate by the rest of the world, and they stepped into a life that was extraordinary and countercultural. We have to realize that sometimes pursuing Jesus will lead us to dangerous and uncomfortable situations. When Jesus preached, angry mobs formed. When Jesus died and there were rumors of his resurrection, the disciples were hunted down by Roman centurions. I think a great image of how we as Christians are called to act out these ideas of vulnerability and surrender is that of a lost sheep being um, pursued by a shepherd. When he finds us, he grabs us and holds us and says, I am your master. You are part of my flock. Your place in this world is with me. Follow me and trust me. I will guide you and lead you to where you need to be. Someday you may be shorn and you may feel uh, foolish and cold, but I am always there and I know the way. We always have two choices to respond at this point. We can kick back at the shepherd and run away because we're scared or because we want to go back to doing our own thing. Or we can surrender, accept the embrace of the shepherd and go with him. My parents' dog, Gromit, is a great example of how we shouldn't be. But I think a lot of us, without thinking, can sometimes end up acting like him in terms of our interactions with God. Gromit is like the Energizer Bunny on steroids. He's this crazy little terrier dog. When we take him to the beach, he goes zooming off in every direction, running far down the beach, uh, with, and leaves you chasing him behind him. Every time you call out to him, he'll sit and look back at you with this cheeky grin. But he'll never go where you want him to go, and as soon as you get close, he'll run off and do his own thing again. I think for some of us at times, we can sometimes be like Gromit. We, we come to church, we hear from God, we know he's there and that he's calling us. But instead of going where he wants us to go, we just go back to what we were doing and what we want to do. The world out there, out these doors, is self-gratifying and self-satisfying. We cannot pursue the same attitude within the church. This culture is corrosive. It can easily infiltrate us and subtly transform the ways we interact with God. It slowly becomes more self-focused rather than God-focused. We want God to bless us and give us a good life rather than being God's servant. In recent years, there's been lots of studies done as to why young adults in particular are leaving the church at steadily increasing rates. I'm no expert on this, but while reading and preparing for tonight, I, got, I was reading this book and it gave this image that I think is a key clue as to why they're bailing out. And it has a lot to do with what we're talking about tonight. I want you to imagine a lush and beautiful forest. 
There are massive trees and green canopies everywhere you look. All of a sudden, a massive tree falls and rots away, leaving a hole where the sun can shine through. All of a sudden, there's a race. A race to fill the gap. A race to the sunshine. Imagine this kind of like a time-lapse video. Quickly, the smaller, more leafy plants shoot up and soak in the sunshine. They're tiny and will never grow much bigger than that, but they were the first ones to the sun. Next, we see thin, spindly trunks of new trees begin to rise from the soil. They reach out towards the sun, still dwarfed by their giant tree brothers, but stand much taller than the leafy plants on the forest floor. Next up come the vines. They, the vines slide in like snakes, wrapping them, themselves around the trunks of the new tree. More and more of the vines appear until they completely fill out the space and we can no longer see any of the new trees. It appears the vines have won. They've choked out the young trees. But all of a sudden, there's something moving in the vines. It's a tree. It bursts through the vines and starts racing up towards the sky. Its trunk has grown much thicker and stronger. It's more like its brothers now. In this story, the fallen tree represents when a young person leaves high school or leaves a youth group and heads off into the world. The falling of the tree for a lot of young people means stepping out from the comfort of youth groups and, or their parents' faith and into a journey of where they discover their own faith. What can happen is as they experience the wide and crazy world, the vines of temptation or self-focused culture sneak in and they can easily choke out the young, new faith that is growing. The only way the tree in the story survived is because it pushed deeper into the soil, laying deep roots so that it could be nourished and so that it could grow. Even in the face of these overwhelming vines, I fear that this is the same for many young adults. They begin to become overwhelmed and their young faith can't handle it and instead of pressing deeper into God, they're overwhelmed by the vines and their young faith tree sadly dies. We need to draw deeper, surrender our plans to God, be vulnerable with the Lord, not be afraid to ask ourselves the hard questions. We need to understand that the, the world around us, we need to understand the world around us and be able to speak into it, but not be corroded by it. If we become corroded by it, we will lose our saltiness and the unchurched won't see why we are different. Being vulnerable with God means going deeper with Him, allowing Him into all the parts of your heart, not just certain ones. It means spending time in prayer and in His Word. It means taking time out of our schedule and simply sitting at His feet. Surrendering does not mean you give up, but it means you lay your plans at the foot of the cross and then step into the unknown. You step out of the comfortable and into a place of potential danger. You step into a place of full reliance on God. When you do these things, you kill the self-focused culture that the world around us preaches. The most countercultural thing we can do is surrender our autonomy, surrender our personal freedoms, and to be vulnerable with where God wants to lead us. Gnostic, self-focused Christianity needs to die. We can't keep hunting for new experiences and looking for our good ideals and practices to save us. Only Jesus 
can. Tonight, as we, we close, as we finish up with this part, I, wanna, I want us to take some time for us to ask ourselves the hard questions. Am I being vulnerable with God? Am I too caught up in my routine and comfort that I'm missing out on what God might have for me? Do I need to surrender my plans and dreams to God and to fully rely on Him? As I was preparing for tonight, I truly believe that there are young, there are people here in this auditorium tonight that are on the verge of having their own significant light bulb moment. They're on the, the cusp of having an incredible life-changing opportunity that will be presented to them by Jesus, but they won't take it because they're afraid to step out of the comfort or afraid of leaving their security. But tonight is the night to surrender. Jesus is the good shepherd. He loves you. He'll guide you. He'll always be with you. You don't have to be afraid. Let go of what's holding you back and let him embrace you.